0: What I do is a part of something that's been going on a long time before me. Mm -hmm. Um, It's this historical study, this historical discourse, um, a representation of what feeds us and cares for us. And it plays into these systems of reciprocity, these systems of respect, and, you know sustainability, essentially, that have existed way before me. And so what I do is just a continuation of, of what has been done and this continuation of study and representation that has existed a long time before me.
1: That was interdisciplinary artist, Erin Goklenetz Evalu Gingrich. She grew up in Galena, Alaska, a place that continues to have an impact on her art. You can see it in her beadwork and the masks and the sculpture she creates. They represent, among other things, birds, berries, caribou, seals, and fish. In fact, when she thinks back on her childhood in Galena, fish are a big part of her memories. She remembers them being caught in fish wheels and by people along the Yukon River. She also remembers being told to be mindful of the river because of what it is. This thing of nature that brings bounty, but can also bring destruction if you're not careful around it. Overall, she remembers the sense of freedom she felt growing up in such a rural place, being one with nature and with wildlife. She lives in Anchorage now and talks about the importance of little wild places, how Alaska is known for its size and its scale, its large open spaces occupied by trees, grass, mountains and wildlife, but little patches of wilderness are important too. They can be an untamed patch of grass that grows on the sidewalk or a lake in the middle of town, anything that brings you back to the earth, back to being one with a natural environment. When Erin thinks about being one with her natural environment, she doesn't recall one single image. She recalls moments and sounds that create a feeling, like running water or fishing in the rain with her mom. Thinking about this one morning when she and her mom were out dip netting on the Kasilov River and it was pitch black and there were seals fishing in the water. It was raining and they could see the dark clouds on the horizon and an incoming thunderstorm. She says that she felt in community with the natural elements around her, with the seals and with all the other people who were out fishing too. So here she is. Erin Gachlanetz Evalu Gingrich. Welcome to Chattermarks, a podcast of the Anchorage Museum dedicated to exploring Alaska and the Circumpolar North through the creative and critical thinking of ideas, past, past present, and, and future. future. My name is Cody Liska, and I'll be your host. When was the last time you went fishing?
0: The last time I went fishing was, um, it was last summer, sometime. I don't, um, I can't pinpoint it, like sometimes I feel like spending time with the, the river is not always something like that's completely immersed in fishing like yourself. Like. I feel like fishing is so many different things. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, I guess like defining what fishing is, is, is the question.
1: (laughs) I really like what you just said, spending time with the river. I wonder, what does that mean?
0: Um, for me, that means like going, going to visit. Um, and sometimes that means just walking on the beach or the banks. Um, sometimes that means going and being on the water. Sometimes that means going and helping other people fish and not necessarily putting the net in yourself. It's just uh, putting in that time with that, that place.
1: Do you have any favorite spots?
0: Um, I don't think so. I think I just love all of it.
1: <laughs> you know, that's great. You know, I wonder when you think of a fishing spot or going fishing. And again, I I love what you said about spending time with the river. And it also sounds like you love just being out there. You know, you don't need to be out there with like a fishing pole in your hands and actively trying to catch fish. It's, it's about the experience of nature and people. And I wonder if you maybe have like an image in your mind that you could explain. Or describe
0: when i think of the word river like there's there's not one place that that comes to me um i think that there's there's this feeling and it's like this like hearing the running water like mm-hmm. that's a huge part of the feeling and i guess that's not a that's not a you know an image but that is that sound that creates that feeling and then the um The image changes, like sometimes I'm brought to like the Kassiloff River. Sometimes I'm brought to the Yukon River or the China River. Um, Yeah.
1: I wrote this down and it kind of feels like it's not applicable anymore, but I'm going to read it. And what it is, is it's a story of, of my epic fishing story when I was a kid. And, and I wonder if that'll help jog your memory of like an epic fishing story of your own, or maybe just like an epic, you know, moment when you were out in nature. And, and that story is, you know, when I was nine years old, I caught a hundred pound halibut on a salmon pole off my Ooh. dad's boat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we were in this cove. And everyone besides me, uh, they were taking a nap. And I guess my dad had thought it was okay for me to be out on the deck fishing by myself because <laughs> it was pretty shallow and it was really calm. And I think he thought there wasn't much down there, you know. So I'm back there, and you know, I catch this this hundred pound halibut that's just massive, you know, on a salmon pole. And I, I initially thought that, you know, the lure is snagged on something at the bottom, but then I can feel the head shaking back and forth, you know, what the halibut does when you, when you catch it. And, uh, you know, so I start yelling for my dad, you know, I'm yelling like fish on fish on. And, you know, he runs back there and he, uh, he just kind of watched me like reel this thing in. Cause I was ab- about to be finished by the time he got out there and he was just like, Oh my gosh, you know? So, <laughs> You know, we talk about that not super often, but often enough to where it's like, oh, remember when Cody caught that hundred pound halibut when we were all just trying to sleep, you know, <laughs> do you have anything like that?
0: I I do. Um, totally. And it's, it's less about, yeah, it's, it's, it becomes less about the catch and more about the experience and the environment mm-hmm. around it. So yeah. um, I think it was in 2019. Um, I was at fish camp with my family and uh, the tide was I think at like three in the morning or something. So it was late at night and it was later in the summer so it was starting to get dark at night too. And um, my mom and I wanted to go. Like I had a couple of fish left on my dip net um, permit so uh, we were going to go get those, those last fish, and so me and my mom woke up and decided, like, we're going to go by ourselves, just me and my mom, I'm going to go dip net at the Kisilaf, um, which is just a couple, like, a, a mile or so away from our fish camp, mm-hmm. and so um, we went and got on the the four-wheeler, like, and so the, this evening starts, like, even before we got on the four-wheeler, before we got to the beach, mm-hmm. I woke up, and um, I saw, like, these birds. And they weren't birds like there were bats out that (laughs) night and like they flew around me which was really trippy and fun like yeah it it felt like a scooby-doo experience like (laughs) and then there was a moose hiding by the outhouse and then (laughs) we could hear like this this low rolling thunder in the background and so we get on the four-wheeler we get to the beach we see across the bay like this dark darkness and every once in a while we'll see like flashes of light like there was a thunderstorm across the bay and we get our nets in it's still pitch black out and um, it starts to rain warm rain like this very strange warm rain there were seals fishing and then slowly but surely the storm comes and rolls in and it starts like there's lightning that crosses the sky and we're dip netting in the river with gigantic, you know, metal nets that feel like the exact opposite of what you want to do in a thunderstorm. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) yeah, And like we were able to get, I think, three of the last five fish on my permit and it started to just be too much. And so me and my mom got on the four wheeler and left. And as we were going back to fish camp, my dad was coming out to to get us and ball us out for staying out in a thunderstorm fishing.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. And yeah, when we got home, the moose had woken woken up and like we're walking around our our cabin and yeah, it was just this whole experience and all to get you know these three fish and try to to get the last of what what we needed, but apparently what we needed was this like. This experience that was completely, you know, exciting from one moment to the next. Yeah, and um, yeah, the fish were just, of course, the the gift, the little ice cream um, on top of that that amazing event.
1: Yeah, that sounds really special. You know, what I kept thinking of is, you know, you're out there, and like you said, it's not always about the fishing; it's about the experience. And, you know, I'm thinking, you know, you and your mom are out there in the elements, you know, in, in these very active elements in nature. And I imagine you just really felt part of all of it.
0: Absolutely. Um, I felt like I, I've, I felt in community, like with the water and with the seals and with mm-hmm. all the other fisher people that went out that day to, to do what we were doing. And that's something, um, that's such a gift to feel in community with where you are with a place and with, mm-hmm. with the environment. Like you feel like you're, you're in communication with it and you're not just, um, you're not necessarily distant from it in any way. You're, you're a part of it.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah.
1: I wonder who got you into fishing.
0: Um, I think that for, for me, like, I don't know exactly. And I don't think it, it could be like, there's, there's different levels of it. I think I grew up on the Yukon river in Galena. Um, my parents moved there when I was like three and, um, you know, the, the fishing there was such an important part of just everything. Mm-hmm. Like it was just so immersed in it. Um, and I don't, I don't remember, like I don't have a fishing moment that it started. Like I was always aware of this practice and... My grandma is koi Athabaskan and comes from, like, she was raised in Nulado. And so ancestrally, it's like, it's always been a part of me. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. um, A fishing culture, a fishing, and being in relation to a river has always just, I think, been ingrained.
1: And you were three years old, correct? When you moved to Galena. Yeah. You know, I wonder, and, I, and I'm and i really bad at this. You know, I feel like I don't have, like, people call it total recall, you know, where you can remember things from when you were very young. Um, but I'm going to see if you can remember anything from those younger years in Galena.
0: I, I actually tend to have, like, I have a pretty good memory. There's okay. things I remember from when I was, like, one and two and three (laughs) so i totally i totally remember um i remember galena we were there for five years so until i was eight so like most of my formative childhood was spent in this rural place and um i remember watching the fish wheels and watching you know fish being caught passively in the yukon river i remember being told to stay away from the river like it being this forbidden thing until, um, and to, to be just very mindful of it whenever we were on it or in it in some way, um, I really enjoyed, like I got to have this sense of freedom when I was little, being in a rural place, getting to play, um, and create stories and, um, just be immersed in my own little, my own little world, in in little wild places.
2: I
1: like that little wild places. What do you mean by that?
0: Um, When I think of, of wild places, um, they can be small. They don't necessarily like, I think people come to Alaska and like, it's the space and it's the size and it's the scale. But um, Mm -hmm. I think that Especially when you leave a rural place, like, I've learned to value the, the smaller um, wild places that we have that I get to go be with, like, um, I wouldn't necessarily, like, completely say our trail systems here in Anchorage are wild places, but they are, they are, like, yeah. <laughs> that's where we go to connect to, you know, a wild place because it's not completely edited, it's not completely changed um and sometimes like little wild spots can just be an untamed patch of greens that that grow on the sidewalk um Mm -hmm. that's not you know not grass (laughs) Um, yeah but yeah little wild places are just to me like the, the places that you go to to be with yourself and be with where you are
1: Do you have any little wild places that you go to in Anchorage?
0: Absolutely. Um, Like I mentioned that the trails here, we're very lucky to have access um, on our trails so much. There's, I have have several, I have several spots. Um, I live in East Anchorage, so like Russian Jack Park is a really amazing place. Um, Mm -hmm. Once you get off of the trails, Um, there's a beautiful little spot, um, by the APU trails as well, that you can get off and and walk around. There's also, um, Chester Creek. There's, there's so many. (laughs) I spend a lot of time, um, yeah, trying to to connect to those places in the summertime.
1: And you know, as you got older and you were going to college, you were pursuing a degree in wildlife biology for a while, right? Yep. Why wildlife biology?
0: Well, um, yeah, I've always, I've always had this interest and love of what was around me. Mm -hmm. Um, Some of my most formative experiences involved interacting with wild beings or wild relatives. Um, So, you know, getting to grow up in rural places, you get to spend more time with them and they had a a lasting impact, you know, those presences in my life. And I wanted to to pursue that and see where it went. And it took me on some really amazing experiences Mm -hmm. that I still am super grateful for.
1: And you eventually stopped pursuing that as a degree, correct?
0: Yep. Yeah, I made a I made a change. Um, okay. Yeah, I was I was starting to have these experiences that were maybe a little t- not exactly what I wanted in those spaces, and I was also like struggling with certain aspects of of that degree that didn't feel like um, I was where my skill sets were. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'd been taking art classes the whole time because it's just what's fun. Like I had fun and it was, um, I wouldn't say it was easy, but it came naturally. And I, uh, (laughs) I entered a mask into like the student juried art show and I won best in show for for this mask that I had made and I was like maybe I should be thinking about this seriously. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so I I decided to make the change like after that. Like I felt like it was a sign, um, a message for me to to react to and respond to.
1: Mhm. And what did that mask look like?
0: That mask um was my first seal mask, my first notchick mask. It was my first completed piece that was carved painted and beaded it's something I still um I still have
2: Mm -hmm.
0: Um, yeah it's one of my favorite pieces that I've made
1: just a minute ago you said that you were having these these undesirable experiences in these these certain places could you explain that a little more
0: yeah yeah so, um, I had been really lucky to be a part of um, this amazing program called ANSEP, and I really, which is the Alaska Native um, Science and Engineering Program. Mm-hmm. And they do amazing things, and I'm so grateful for my time with them. And so I had these opportunities to do internships. And I found myself working for the federal government in different capacities and getting to work with some really amazing, cool people and some really amazing, cool projects. And I've learned so much from those experiences. Um, But at the same time, I was like being told that like I was like part of my goals have always been to remain in connection to my homeland. Mm -hmm. And I was told that that was like not something um, that was realistic and not something that I should be concerned with, like that was very limiting and like being told that in these spaces and being told that there are certain things I needed to learn and do a certain way, um, was really not it for me Mm -hmm. because like I was raised with these subsistence experiences and in connection to my homelands. And for people to be telling me that that's not what that future was going to be like, I, I, I listened to them and, and took that into consideration. It's like, no, I, I need to remain in connection to my homelands because they feed me and like they're so important to me and my family.
1: I wonder if you've had some time to think about why those people would tell you that, that, you know, as you get older you know, for whatever reason, you can't have this connection to your homelands.
0: I I can see like some of the points that they were making that like, maybe there's this idea that I was limiting myself and, you know, not considering like the rest of the world. Um, and I can see that that maybe they were trying to push me in that way. And I was definitely like obviously contrary to that and resisted it. Um, But I think that those goals are important to serve and and be in connection with the places that have taken care of me. Because so many choices and decisions are made about our homelands um, by non-Indigenous people. Mm -hmm. And for someone to tell me to go be somewhere else and make those decisions in relation to someone else's homelands. Um, that, that was just super strange to me. But I think that, yeah, sometimes I don't think about the bigger picture um, when it comes to, to place. And I'm learning and adjusting to that now more than ever because of uh, all the amazing things I've gotten to experience lately.
2: Hmm.
1: Something I'm thinking about and, you know, let me know if, if this is just way off, but was it, you know, fellow indigenous people telling you that that connection to your homelands is unrealistic or was it um, non-indigenous people?
0: It was, it was definitely non-Indigenous people, Uh, um, yeah, it was, um, people from outside of, um, you know, my community, necessarily. Mm -hmm. And I think that, like, there are these particular aspects of, of culture where people do move around a lot and exist in relation to different places, and, um... Yeah, that's just not something that I've thought heavily about because I I have gotten to live in relation to different places because Alaska is so big. Mm-hmm. And like when I think of traveling and going to see and be in new places and new environments, like I've always thought of like exploring Alaska first because <laughs> mm-hmm. there's yeah. so much here. And they're like just because of places rural and, and small um, population wise does not mean that it's not this
1: huge, amazing thing. In my experience, I feel like the more interviews that I do with indigenous people, uh, Alaska natives, I am continuing to understand, and I grew up in Alaska, born and raised. And so I, I grew up around appreciating nature, understanding, That there are many forms of spirituality, you know, among many other things. And I feel like maybe some of those people, and not calling anybody out, but some of those people that are telling you, like, you need to take the Western route, you know? You need to take the westernized route of going to college and, you know, having this connection to your homeland is not realistic. I feel like that mentality is fading away. It's fading out of people's perceived logic
2: Mm -hmm.
0: yeah um i agree i completely agree um i think that factually people are, are listening more and starting to understand like they're being hit with the real facts like people are doing really hard work to to present them with with the information that is the truth and the truth is like indigenous peoples protect you know 90 percent of the world's biodiversity like that is a fact mm-hmm. <laughs> and so understanding that existing in connection to your homelands and that being not just like this spiritual thing but it's also factually protecting these places mm-hmm. yeah like a, that is the reality and that is the truth it's not this imagined thing um it's very, very real and tangible that indigenous peoples protect these places.
1: And when did you realize that those goals are important, you know, continuing your connection to your homelands and, you know, you had that understanding, you know, beyond what other people were telling you?
0: I think that's something I'm still starting to, to understand and develop, like, I, I feel like I'm in constant work with that. Um, because, like, I'm still a guest on other people's homelands here in Anchorage, but also, like, my family's fish camp, my fish camp is in Kasilof, and that's Denina Homelands, and so, like, I'm still learning and adjusting to that. But like the first time I decided to go back to some of my family's homelands by myself, um, I was in college and I was like, I wanted to go to Nome to visit my elders. So I went (laughs) Mm -hmm. and I was just like, I decided to, to do that. But like, honestly, the first time I wanted to go back to a rural place that I felt connected with was like as soon as I left Galena when I was like eight years old I wanted to go home (laughs) I didn't want to uh I wasn't fond of Anchorage okay I wasn't fond of city life and um I've never gone back but I still think about it constantly
1: (laughs) what was it about city life that just didn't mesh with you
0: life had just completely changed um like There being paved roads, there being fences around people's yards, there being a yard that was like designated, Mm -hmm. there being places that I wasn't allowed to go um, in my own neighborhood. Mm -hmm. Like that, that idea was super wild to me. Like when I was little, my favorite things were to go play in the woods and like have that freedom and that space. And, yeah, that that kind of changed so dramatically that I really missed home or this idea of home.
1: I wonder if your concept of Little Wild Places came about after you moved to Anchorage, you know, after you left Galena, which I've never been there, but I've seen pictures of it. Um, I've talked to a number of people from Galena and it seems much more wild and closer to nature than Anchorage is.
0: Oh yeah. No. Yeah. I, um, it's, it's funny. Like, I feel like sometimes I used to look for things that felt the same. Mm -hmm. Like I remember one of the first things that we did, we went on a biking trip. And we we got to bike by Chester Creek and it had salmon in it. Mm-hmm. And I remember that moment thinking like, oh, this is like looking for for little bits and pieces of Galena here. And it's like, oh, this is one of those bits and pieces. Like there's, there's salmon in, in the water here. Like I got to feel a little bit closer to that place that I, I that really formed my idea of home and formed my idea of wild places.
1: Yeah, yeah. It sounds like you found pieces of of things that reminded you of the things that you missed back in Galena.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And um, I mean, that's that's such a thing, right? Looking for those those moments, those bits of childhood, trying to reclaim them and reconnect to them. (laughs) Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Yeah. Yeah, they feel so important. And I wonder if... And this is just me talking from my perspective when I'm thinking about my childhood and I'm, you know, maybe looking at certain things with, you know, rose-colored lenses and I'm like, maybe I you know, you're a wide-eyed child and you're excited. And then, you know, the world hasn't beat you down so much just yet.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah. Absolutely. Um, my memories of of Galena, I know that they aren't completely like realistic. Like some of my, a lot of my memories of rural places might not be a true image of what, what they are completely. Like there's okay. so many different aspects of rural living that are so challenging and are so hard. And I, I feel like I owe it to my family for providing me with, you know, these experiences and these these wild places that created this connection for me that is safe and, you know, something I can come back to easily.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And, and I, I guess I wasn't trying to say like, you know, those, those nostalgic moments aren't important. I, I was kind of going the other way. I was thinking, you know, how important they are, and to be able to draw from them, you know, to I guess it might sound a little cliche, but you know, to remember what it was like being a kid again and to to look at the world with that wonder,
0: oh, absolutely um, I think that like that's a huge part of i like figuring out what you want in life is informed by what you were given and what made you happy mm-hmm. like. And so being able to turn around and find that like, Oh, what makes me happy is, is going to running water and watching for salmon or what makes Mm -hmm. me happy is finding, you know, catching a little glimpse of sunlight and knowing where you are. Like those things are so important and so valuable Mm -hmm. and it's very lucky that I can still, still look for them and still find them, you know, everywhere here. And that's such an important part of why I love still being here in Alaska and being connection to, to homelands.
1: Mm-hmm. When you went back to Nome to visit your elders, what was that like?
0: It was, it was very different to go by myself and, you know, be in connection to places that used to feel a lot bigger. <laughs> mm-hmm. necessarily like I can I come to this realization that oh it's a lot smaller than I remember while simultaneously realizing it's so much bigger than I remembered like there's so many aspects of it that were there for me to to interact with that I hadn't as a child mm-hmm. uh, but yeah I, I remembered like this this little boardwalk that crosses the creek at my grandparents' mining camp. I remember it being big and, like, sitting there and dipping my feet in the creek and, like, thinking of it now and having gone back now, I'm like, that was that's a tiny little board that, <laughs> like, I, <laughs> I had to have been really small in order to hang my feet into the river or the creek there. Like, yeah.
1: Do you think being in nature and having those experiences and also, like remembering those childhood experiences in nature affect your art at all?
0: Absolutely, like 100%. Um, I I just had a, I just was a guest speaker for a college class. And um, when I introduced myself, I included photos of me when I was like two and three in Nome. Um, because I remember like these experiences that I was given. And mm-hmm. I cite them, like they're citations for my practice, because I am very lucky to have this memory of like being two years old and being brought to my first, you know, the first moose that my mom caught and watching my family do the work of taking care of it. Like I mm-hmm. got, to, I get to cite that moment as being this generative event that has prompted everything that I do and, and the work I make because as an artist, I represent these gifts that we gather from the land. And I was taught from two years old how important and vital it is that we take care of them and mm-hmm. respect them and have reciprocity for them. So absolutely.
1: Could you describe that moment, the one with the moose?
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, Yeah, it starts before we get there. Um, Before we get there, like, my grandmother was telling me, me and my brother, how important it was that we have to go take care of it. Like, that the hunters went out and did the work, and we have to show up and take care of it. So, um, I I was apparently like a very serious little person. And like, I remember (laughs) thinking about it very seriously, that it was like a job. We had to go do this work. And I remember walking through the willows, which must have just been bushes, but it felt like they were trees and, um, walking up and seeing the fur on the moose. And coming up, you know, being brought to it, and getting to look at it, and getting to touch it, and um, I just remember thinking that that was magic. Yeah, <laughs> like it—it it felt like magic.
1: <laughs> In what way? You know, you're 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 talking about uh, this feeling of magic, and I feel like so many people have different understandings of you know magical moments.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. It was for for it to have been talked about so much and for me to have been like prepared with this understanding that we had to go take care of this animal. It was a gift to us and it was going to take care of us and feed us. And, you know, I was really prepared to to go interact with it in some way. And so when we came upon the animal that had um, given itself to, to my family, I just remember that I couldn't believe that, like, how big it was and how amazing it was and how it felt. Like, I remember running my hands through the the fur and getting to to realize, like, this is for us. This is and we have to take care of it, we have to do this work, and it's gonna feed us. Um, because my elders always talked about hunting, they still always talk about hunting and taking care of what we go out and are given from the land. Mm-hmm. And it just felt wild, like that's that was something that we got to eat all winter long. Um, and yeah. it got to... And to do the work and interact with such a big animal from such a little age, (laughs) you know, from from being so tiny, like I remember trying to um, trying to jump over or climb over the moose, and it being like its belly being too tall for me to climb over, like just proportionally, it was, yeah, pretty amazing.
1: Yeah. What was the next time that you encountered a moose like that?
0: I'm not sure if I have encountered a moose like that. Um, I've, I've been around while people were hunting um, and it, it, changes, you know, there's different, different times um, when you get to be brought into those spaces. But I'm not sure if I've had, you know, that that connection again, and it's been something that I've wanted to try to make an effort to, to go be present with. Mm-hmm. I've wanted to to go be with my elders and during most season in September, but I've I've always had there's always been barriers or choices, um, other things were were picked instead, and so I haven't gotten to go have that experience and, and do that work as, a, as an adult. And I, it's something I want to, to make the effort to, to try to be a part of again.
1: You know, I read that your relationship to nature was influenced by your grandparents, your parents, and other people in your community. Maybe, can you tell me about your grandparents, you know, and how they influenced your relationship with nature?
0: I I grew up going to, to visit my grandparents in Nome and getting to spend some summers there. And they live um, they have a a house in town and they have a mining claim out of town which is camp Mm -hmm. and so at camp there's running water that's funneled in from the creek and there's no electricity and so kind of off the grid a little bit um, but still pretty close to no and so They still live a most, like, they practice subsistence there while I was growing up
2: Mm -hmm.
0: pretty consistently, like, and they still do. They still do that. And so we would go and be a part of that. And uh, we would go berry picking when the berries would be ripe. And I would be given this tiny little um bucket to go pick (laughs) berries in and to fill like um couldn't have been more than like a cup sized but like i was still given that that job to to go do the work um, yeah so we could have blueberry pancakes and have these experiences um and so i was just taught to do that work like it was important valued work And I took it super seriously. Like I didn't uh, eat the berries from my bucket, which was pretty. um... (laughs) Not everybody can do that.
1: (laughs) Yeah, for sure. (laughs)
0: Yeah. Um, But I was really, really raised with, with those experiences and and taught like, yeah, it's serious work when you go out and harvest and interact with these resources
1: something that i'm i'm kind of catching on to and maybe i'm a little late on this but you know you've said now a couple times what a serious little kid you were you know you <laughs> you appreciated the the gravity of these events
0: i i think so i mean i i really do yeah, it was just ingrained in me that this was important work and mm-hmm. not to um, be silly with it or not to be disrespectful with it. Um, I spent a lot of time like singing to myself and pretending a lot, which is probably why I'm an artist <laughs> and telling myself <laughs> stories yeah. um, in these, you know, these these places that I got to grow up in. And so like, there was time to be, you know, in your own, In your own mind Um, but when you're out harvesting or subsisting like that was a time to be present Mm -hmm. and to to take care of these things that you're being given because they're not always going to be there like I was always told they're not always going to be there so you got to to be do what's right
1: how do you view the art that you create you know what does it mean to you
0: What I do is a part of something that's been going on a long time before me. Mm -hmm. Um, It's this historical study, this historical discourse, um, a representation of what feeds us and cares for us. And it plays into these systems of reciprocity, these systems of respect and, you know, sustainability essentially that have existed way before me. And so what I do is just a continuation of of what has been done and this continuation of study and representation that has existed a long time before me.
1: Do you feel like you have a different path as a working artist than what is maybe right now considered the norm?
0: I think that there isn't any norm <laughs> Okay. I, I'm not sure if there is like I think that my path has been like sometimes it turns very quickly and lately it's it's changed and adapted very quickly and that's been pretty exciting and interesting to experience and try to adapt to. Mm-hmm. Um, But I'm not sure if any artist could tell you if like there is a normal path as an artist (laughs) I think yeah yeah. (laughs) I mean I tried I tried not to be an artist like I did try to be a wildlife biologist like I really did (laughs) I was like no I'm not going to do that I'm going to be a biologist I don't want to have this this stability here um yeah but that I feel like that choice was um made for me and I I tried to resist it, but yeah.
1: Why did you try to resist it?
0: Because I didn't completely understand um, what my path was gonna be, and I still don't. Um, I think I've learned that it's less about what your path looks like and more about what it feels like. And um, when I realized that things felt right with art, then, you know, I made that change.
1: hmm And you create these masks with beads that go in and out of them or hang off of them. How did you come up with that?
0: I I started with, with a sketch. Um, I had sketched this seal um, for my first seal mask, and I tried to... Um, represent like the ripples of the water that we see them with. Like when you see a a seal in the water, Mm -hmm. there's always these beautiful ripples around their face and from their whiskers. And so, you know, I I wanted to represent that and it came to me to connect, to use beads to do that because I have that skill. It was taught to me by my grandmother Mm -hmm. and to connect the, the eyes to to the mouth or to where their whiskers would be because seals use their whiskers to see. Um, they're there for, um, for sight essentially in the water, like they can mm-hmm. feel vibrations in the water and in the dark. And so um, that's where it started. And once once it started, I was like, this feels right. This feels what I need to be doing. This makes sense. Like I was adorned with beads and beadwork since I was a little girl, Mm -hmm. and it just made sense to to do that with with the masks.
1: When you're working on these masks, or when you were working on these masks, are you thinking of the technicalities of the craft, or is it something else you're thinking of?
0: I I try to do both. Um, I try to just be really present when I'm in the studio, because I'm working with knives and I'm working with, you know, this material that is in essence, super fragile. Like wood is fragile. Mm-hmm. It can be strong, but it also is fragile. It has grain, it has splits. It can um, it can chip, it can dent. You can start splitting in those grains and end up having to chase it down in order to try to to keep things smooth. So I try to just be super present with with the work.
2: Because
0: mm-hmm. um, I, I go do research for the work, and sometimes that research is just being outside. Sometimes it's looking up images of, of these animals. Sometimes it's trying to create my own images of these, these beings. And uh, yeah, I try to be present with it.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I, I think that that, at least for for many artists is kind of the key is to be present because when you overthink art it turns into something else
0: it does yeah yeah i try not to think too like trying to be aware of your environment um is something i think that happens later Mm -hmm. you get to a certain point as an artist, you start to become more aware of your environment. You, you put your head up and you you look around and you see what's going on. Mm -hmm. But, um, yeah, it's my favorite, you know, part to put my head down and do the work.
1: And after they're finished, what do you think of when you look at these masks?
0: I, I think of the, the presence that I've been gifted and the gifts that they represent. Um, and I'm starting to to try to emphasize that more and more, utilizing like the titles of my work and utilizing my Inupiaq language mm-hmm. to to make sure that these places are in connection to, or these masks and work are in connection to the places that these things come from and these experiences come from, um, because these are the things that have made indigenous people and cared for us, our, our wild resources.
1: I read that your work represents what has tied you and your ancestors to the north. When you think about what has tied you and your ancestors to the north, what do you think of?
0: I think of a good season um, of berry picking. I think of a good season of fishing. I think of a good whaling season. I think of these things that my ancestors and my family have relied upon and needed in order to to be here. I think of, you know, the sealskin that my ancestors used to make parka and kamak and boots and, you know, and, and all these things that kept us warm and allowed us to stay and be here. Mm-hmm. in place, in homelands, um, all of these gifts.
1: I feel like your work has to do with change and also adaptability. In what ways do you think your art reflects, you know, maybe a changing climate?
0: Yeah. What is what is happening and, like, the, the reality of our our lives and and being in connection to it. Um, I think that there are a lot of ways that people can live without being connected to where they are. I think that, I mean, obviously with my experience, I was encouraged to to not be connected, you know, to my homelands, to to where I was. Like I was encouraged to try to learn how to be connected to somewhere else. And I think, it's very important to be aware of where you are Mm -hmm. and getting to know where you are and what that means. And that means being aware of the ecosystems and what is happening and the people who live with those ecosystems Mm -hmm. and how much they care about them and how much they are the ones who who should be listened to when decisions are being made in connection to these places um yeah everything is is changing so much and you know our wild relatives adapt and change naturally it's a part of their life cycles it's a part of their their capabilities to exist is to change and adapt like ptarmigan change their colors every you know every winter Mm -hmm. and every spring and that's just natural for them it's something that just happens like salmon change every time they enter into fresh water they start to develop their spawning colors and start to change and that's normal Mm -hmm. you know and i think that the more we pay attention and listen and you know become aware of these these ways to adapt and change hopefully the more we will learn how to do that because i think that um, the fragility of our societies and systems that we support have become more and more evident, and as as the world has showed us the past couple years.
2: <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: Where do you get new ideas for your art?
0: Um, I get new ideas from from research. Okay. I call it I call it research, and, because it is. Um, and some of that research is going back to know and picking berries with my elders. Some of that research is going um, back to fish camp and fishing and getting to know the fish more and spending more time with, with them and spending more time taking care of that resource and learning how to use it better. Some of that research is just, yeah, being in place and being present with what you're being given. And like you're given these, I've been given these amazing moments where we had cranes flying overhead as we were picking um, cloudberries on the Gnome Teller Highway. And like that, that's a part of the research. Mm -hmm. Some of it is also in museum collections, looking at representations that have already been made and trying to understand and gain nuances from artists of of the past. Um, that's part of it too.
1: I like how you call it research, you know, like you were a serious kid. (laughs) Do you feel like you're a serious adult?
0: Um, I, I was just told that I, I'm a happy, I seem like a happy person Um, (laughs) (laughs) yesterday and it's like, Oh, okay. That's great. Um, but I do take, like, I, I don't take my, I try not to take myself seriously. I, I don't think that benefits me too much, um, but I do take my work seriously because my work, as I've said, is in connection to this thing that existed a long time before me. Mm-hmm. Um, these are ancient relationships to these resources in animal populations mm-hmm. and the way I interact with them and represent them is, is serious because it is this ancient work that has existed a long time before me. And if I am, um, not, not going to go about it in the right way, I shouldn't be doing it.
1: Do you feel like your work has gotten better over time?
0: Absolutely. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, because the more time I spend with these resources, the, the better the representations get and the more time that I um, look at them and study them and make photos of them, like, yeah, the better it gets. Because I have particular needs when it comes to, to doing this research, like photographing my own salmon mm-hmm. for, for templates, for carvings. like. That's something I just started and it's already made such an impact in these representations of them that I, I've learned like, oh yeah, I have to do this. I should be doing this all the time. I should be going out and doing this research. Um, because people, people do do research of wildlife. It's just typically for different reasons.
1: <laughs> yeah, I like that. that. The progression of your art, at least currently in this moment has led you to collecting your own source material.
0: Yes, absolutely. And, um, getting, having had experiences, you know, doing wildlife research, Mm -hmm. um, has obviously like, oh, it's, it's supported this. Like I was like, it wasn't useless. It wasn't out of, um just out of curiosity there's a reason why i pursued that for that time and there's a reason i got those experiences and now being able to incorporate what i learned there and what i got to study there and utilize it for what i'm doing now like it's it's pretty cool and pretty amazing that that i get to have that
2: yeah
1: you know you carve paint paint do beadwork photography and you're a designer but which of those came first
0: um I think probably beadwork okay yeah um you know sketching drawing like that that was I think it's everybody's first um I loved to to make pictures when I was little but um yeah, I was taught to bead when I was really young uh, by my grandma. And so that's one of the most formative things.
1: Do you have any of those earlier pieces saved somewhere?
0: I do.
2: You do? Okay. (laughs) I have
0: one in particular that's like this really derpy looking seal, (laughs) which is really like, it's so funny. Like, course it's a seal I was obsessed with seals so I like made an attempt to make this the seal um barrette and it's so derpy um (laughs) but um yeah I guess I was studying seals you know for a long time
1: and where is that
0: it's in my jewelry box with all the other beadwork um the beautiful things that I got like from from my grandma growing up she made me hair barrettes and my mom made me hair barrettes and my aunties made me hair barrettes and um, it lives with them even though it, it probably should be somewhere else
1: How often do you look at it
0: Not that often um, Yeah I haven't gotten to to go through and and like re reclaim and revisit those things. And maybe I should, like maybe I need to because they're beautiful representations. And yeah, part of this this history of making and being adorned with beads that is important to my work.
1: Yeah, and the fact that you were doing it all the way back then and you're still doing it. You know, something that I think about is when, let's just say artists, you know, because we're talking about you as an artist, when artists look back into their past and they're like, I've always been doing this, you know, it's a part of them. It's a part of you.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's, that's funny. I I didn't come, I didn't realize that that connection until just now, like, oh, I've always been trying to represent seals. Like I've always been trying to represent these things. Um, Yeah, I, like I said, I don't think I had a choice when it came to being an artist. Like, if I did have a choice, I probably would have chosen something else because there's not a lot of guarantees and, you know, you get the stability that you make, which is very hard to make as an artist. Mm -hmm. Uh, But, um, yeah, I'm surrounded by artists, like my family is full of artists, so it also, like, I'm very lucky to have that too.
1: Do they give you any advice? You know, we've been talking a little bit about just the uncertainty about being an artist. Do they ever give you any advice about, you know, something that reinforces what you're doing?
0: There was, there was times when I was, um, sometimes told what to do, (laughs) um, (laughs) which I, I was very contrary with, um, I think that what what we've all learned together is that like I've had to find my own way to it and I've got to go about it in, in my own way and that that's what's going to be successful for me is my own path and not this prescribed or um, set path necessarily.
1: Yeah. And before we get too far away from it, what do you think it is about seals, you know, that that they've stuck with you for so long?
0: Seals are just this this beautiful, beautiful thing. Um, my first interaction with with seal was an interaction with seal as a material, mm-hmm. um, as a as a hide, as as skin. I remember being gifted. Um, with this little pencil case that was made out of seal skin. And I remember touching it and like like being confused. Like I remember thinking it was velvet, you know, Mm -hmm. because it is just so soft and, and beautiful. Yeah. And, um, and then like when we moved here to Anchorage, um, also I think my first experience, like with, with them and their presence I can't remember, like, it's hard to pinpoint, because um, I, I know I've had experiences with seals in Nome. I know there's been experiences with seals in Sitka, like, mm-hmm. and when we moved here to Anchorage, we went to the Sea Life Center, and I got to have experiences with them there. Um, they're just this, this super kind and benevolent beings that we get to share space with, mm-hmm. and they've given so much to us as indigenous people. I think about how my ancestors relied on them for for keeping warm. And that's not just, you know, with seal skin, but that's also from the oil that they give. And that was used to create light and warmth using seal oil lamps. Like there's so much that was provided from those animals.
1: What's it like when you go to places outside of Alaska and share your art, which inherently is infused with Alaska Native identity and culture?
0: That's something I've, I'm have i learning about and getting to experience more and more. And uh, sometimes I haven't been there myself when my art is being presented. Like I haven't gotten to go to every show that I've had um outside yet okay life has been going really fast and there's so much happening all at once Um, but i'm finding that the people that stop and want to have conversations with me already kind of understand what it's
2: about okay
0: already like they're able to see like most of the work that's been shown out of out of state representations of salmon and um, people can see that that's in connection to a place people understand Mm -hmm. that that it's this this thing that's ingrained and gifted and I tried my best to to speak about it and share those understandings that I have with people outside of outside of my homelands Mm
1: I wonder to what extent do you think your art or really any indigenous art can help non-indigenous people better understand the indigenous experience past and present?
0: I think that it's about like it is so important and it's so valuable because we had historically speaking as indigenous people, we've had our stories taken away from us. We've had our sovereignty taken away from us, and right now we're in this pretty cool time when Indigenous peoples and our art are, are being considered on a different level than it had been previously, and mm-hmm. we're you know regaining so much of our narrative sovereignty. There are people showing up to do that work and tell stories that are Indigenous and being told by Indigenous people, not being told for us. Mm -hmm. So I think that we're in this pretty cool time when we're getting the ability to tell our own stories. And as artists, um, that's what we've been taught and trained to do as indigenous artists. I think that's inherently a part of so much of what we're trained by our communities to do is to show up um, and share our authentic stories.
1: You know, I wonder when you are talking to a fellow indigenous artist, what kind of conversations are you having? Are they specifically about the art? Um, Are they all over the place? You know, they could be about anything or are they, you know, again, about something specific?
0: My experience has been like, yeah, it can be, it can be all over the place. It can get, it can get really serious, really fast, or it could, or it can be very light and very, Mm -hmm. you know, um, and sometimes the the circles are about that, uh, but most often when I'm talking with other artists, what I've noticed the most is that it will return to art, like our conversations will we'll come back to art in some way, because mm-hmm. everything can be art, and that's, that's what I love, um, sharing space with other Indigenous artists is that how much, um, we return to it in so many ways whenever we're having conversations in some way or another, like, it'll return to subsistence in some way, mm-hmm. um, or art making or sharing spaces, you know, or, you know, witnessing other artists and being aware of what what they're doing. Like it always comes back.
1: Yeah. And I would imagine that's, or at least a big part of that is because they're already part of the conversation, you know, so that commonality is already there.
0: Absolutely. And it's just discovering, like it's this beautiful thing where you get to discover how much community we have. Mm -hmm. Um, and how small those communities are. Like, it's pretty wild um, how small the indigenous art community is. And um, like, I I tell people, like if you can say almost any, you know, indigenous artist from up here, and I might know, you know, I might have probably have seen their art or know who their family is or have interacted with them in some way if I don't know them. because our communities are are so small. But it's, it's always a joy to, to find those aspects of community.
1: Yeah. Where do you think your art is going? You know, what's the future of it?
0: That's a, that's a wonderful question. Because um, like, I feel like I'm still discovering what the present is. Like, what is the the present for me, it's, it's ever evolving and becoming this new thing. Um, I think that I'm not sure where it's going, but I hope I get to go with it. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I, I just hope I get to sh- continue to share space with other artists that are really cool and really kind. I hope that it, it lets me continue to learn um, and take up space and help me learn how to take up space in new ways. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I don't, I don't know where this is taking me exactly. Um, it's been a surprise.
1: Yeah. Like we were talking about earlier, it's about being in the present.
0: Yep. Absolutely. Um, I was trying to describe to someone like what my life's been like recently And I I kept thinking about it in terms of like subsistence seasons and Mm -hmm. like in terms of like, you don't know when you're going to have an opportunity show up. You don't know when you're going to be gifted with, you know, a moose or when the fish is going to hit the net. Like you don't know when those things are going to happen. So Mm -hmm. it's just important to be able to be ready to take care and show up for what what is what is coming to you?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, Aaron, that's all the questions I have for you. Awesome. You know, I want to thank you for talking with me today about your art, your life, and you know your culture.
0: Well, thank you so much for for letting me take up space and learn how to have these conversations better. Every everything is is an a chance to learn more and, and get better at it. So thank you.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Is there anything else you'd like to add?
0: Um, I guess, um, you know, just one really important thing that I hope people take away from my work. And what I'm trying to do is that there are people who live in connection to these wild places and these wild relatives in animal populations. And I just really hope that people understand the value in listening to what they're saying and the value in, in understanding that what they're saying comes from a history of living in connection to it. And mm-hmm. it's, you know, right now we have a lot of things happening in, in Alaska that are changing and devastating subsistence practices, and so I hope people listen to the people that live in connection to those places and these populations that are being affected.
1: For more information about the Anchorage Museum, visit anchoragemuseum.org. This podcast was produced by me, Cody Liska, for the Anchorage Museum, with additional help from Julie Decker. Chattermark's music is produced by Keys Open Doors.